what is up my sticky sweet strangers <laughs> i don't even know what that's supposed to mean it as always it is kurt and i am here with my lovely co-host krista and it is hot as hell in the studio again today your opening just killed me okay go on it is hot go on it's yeah it's moist in here crystal wanted me to say that i am wearing nothing but a banana hammock that is two sizes too snug (laughs) and krista is wearing nothing except for two band-aids wow that's a visual right there (laughs) it's a visual right there it's really humid it's It's not it's not as hot as it is humid in here we're supposed to get like nasty storms and like it's gonna be like 90 it's supposed to be like 100 degrees with the heat index and all that garbage the opening of our show is now consistently just us bitching about oh complaining (laughs) you can leave that in there okay complaining about the weather (laughs) well it's hot it is it is hence the sticky sweet i don't know where the sweet came from but i just don't want to say sticky because that just sounds wrong if i'm calling just sticky but sticky sweet sounds like def leopard pour some sugar on me i was trying to pull that how are you i'm good how are you hey living the nightmare Oh my god! Yeah, because you're, you're fifty now. Because I pulled the Ten of Swords card, Krista. Oh, and that's I, right. I forgot. Krista, Jesus. Krista bought a really cool pack of tarot cards, mm-hmm. and she brought them in. And she said that she's been trying to pull one every day and seeing what her day <laughs> holds for her. So I'm like, I'm gonna try that. So I shuffled them, and I'm like, What does my day hold for me? So I pulled the Ten of Swords, and the first thing it says is, If you draw the Ten of Swords, you basically hit rock bottom. <laughs> Which I do feel like I have oh hit God. rock bottom. I'm, I'm not laughing at you. I'm I know. I know. You. I do feel like I've hit it rock bottom. It is very ironic that you would pull that card. It is. But I, I dig those cards. And you're going to, are They're you going to really like pretty. work those into the episodes? I mean, in the future? Maybe. Yeah. If people want to hear that. Yeah. I don't know. It got a lot of comments on the Facebook page. So I think a lot of people are into it. It's just such a cool deck of cards. It is. It's really pretty. And Bridget has the same deck. What's up, Bridget? What's up, Bridget? And so does BDZ. What's up, BDZ? Yep. Brittany has the same deck so apparently i picked a popular one but it's really cool it's popular and for, for what a you reason. paid for it yeah, yeah. i mean i really like that so i feel like you should like play around with that more and get i do it, every day get it get yourself tuned to the oracle and the universe <laughs> and all that stuff and and then just start doing tarot readings <laughs> that gif that you posted gif gif is that how you say i it? always say gif i say gif some people say gif <laughs> okay. some people say gif <clears throat> potato potato I, some people say moving picture oh sure yeah that's Which one did I post it? Oh, the one with the... The guy with the crystal ball. Making all the... Yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm like, oh, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's you me. at home. 100%. With no makeup on, that's me for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Want to give some shout outs to our newest strangers? We have a lot, right? Somebody joined last night and I didn't add them. Oh, sorry. But when I was adding these yesterday, I realized something about these and I was like, huh. So see if you can figure out what's going on here. Okay. Shout outs to our newest strangers. Those are Laura Marie Amore, Michelle Martin White... Margaret Clayton, Michaela Benedict, I believe, Britt Hackinson, Denise Sesker, Tammy Ziomik, and Vaughn McDonald. They're all women? All women. Oh, they're joining for you, Kurt. Yeah, okay. no, no. You should, you should have seen the size of the package Kurt brought with him today. Uh, it's huge. <laughs> Maybe they heard about your package. I had to swing it around to get it in Krista's car. <laughs> and then he almost hit me in the face. <laughs> I did. Because as soon as you, because I was watching you in your car and you saw me like lift it up and then you just start like, laughing because oh it's God. like a big package. And then he gets in the car and practically smacks me in the face with it. But I'm sorry. Whatever, whatever. That's rude. That we're, is rude when friends. you do that. Yeah, that's rude when you do that. Good. Oh, shoot. Oh, okay. are you doing, are you doing a. Do you want me to? Yeah, do a card. I want to know. Nervous. Ask what this pod, what this episode okay. holds yeah, yeah, for yeah. us. There, then it's not about me. Then it's not just about Krista. I'm not telling the world about my. 
personal stuff. I don't have personal stuff. Yes, I do. <laughs> Everybody does. Okay, so you're supposed to shuffle it. So you just did it like this, huh? Yeah. See, I'm not a real good that? shuffler. People like do fanning and yeah, yeah, I'm just yeah. like jamming the cards together and they're crinkling kind of, them up. They're too long to do it that way. They are. But I do it anyway. Okay. See, I can't do that. It's not easy. No. I'm you could have been like a blackjack dealer in Vegas. <laughs> do the clapping thing. God. <laughs> what? When they clap and go like that. They do that? Yeah. Like blackjack dealers did that to show that they didn't have like cards on them anywhere. I've only been to casinos because I've had to stay at hotels where conferences yeah, are. I'm not a so. casino goer. Okay, ready. I'm going to pick one. This is, what is this podcast? What, what does this episode hold okay. in store for hold. All right. us? <laughs> Justice. It's the Eight of Swords. I have to, here, you look it up. Eight of Swords. Eight of Swords. Look. Mine had like a, a bull with sword through its eye. And well, you get like cute nice. cats, cats on yours. What number? Eight. Surrounded by obstacles and threats on all sides, you find yourself the victim. You see no way you see no way out, no available choices. Your perceptions keep you from opening your wings and taking flight. What keeps you suspended here? Yourself or others? The eight of swords demands an answer. You cannot hang here much longer. Wow. I don't like that. This is going to be a rough ride today. Yeah, it is going to be a rough ride. Are you surrounded by obstacles on all sides? Um, I feel a little Am I pro- boxing you crowded. in? Do I box you in? <laughs> yeah, Kurt. Let me spread my wings, Kurt. I'm sorry. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, I don't know. That was a little... Um... Yeah, no, I'm not... I already wasn't feeling real good about this episode to start with. <laughs> Why? Because it's, this one is... A lot of people said our last episode was like really... Not heavy? complicated, but heavy and heavy. heady. They said it was heavy and heady. And it's having an after uh, it is. <laughs> it's, poor Jeremy is seeing the 11-11s like, all the time now. Yeah, and he never saw them before. No, no. And we've had a lot of people message us with synchronicities for our listeners' stories episode, Ooh, speaking which of. is coming up. I believe it's going to be next. So okay. you have from the moment you hear this until... The 28th, you said? Yeah. Well, that's what I posted on Instagram. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so you have until then to yeah. send us your story. You can send it to us in a Facebook message. You can email us. You can call our phone line. You can send it. We've even got one uh, as an MP3. Yep. Coleman sent us one as an MP3. You can direct message. You can direct message. On Instagram. Uh, yeah. If you want, you can come when we record and just drunkenly ramble your story to us sitting here at the table Stand with us. Stand window. outside the window. Now we got it open now that like the window is open. Like a plane with one of those banners behind it. Yeah, you could do that. It'd be kind of hard, <laughs> you but... could do that. Original. But that's going to be our next episode. So if you have a listener story, and don't be embarrassed to send it in. I mean, you, yeah. we won't say your name if you don't want yeah, us to. Yeah, you can do it anonymously, whatever yeah. you want. So, so yeah, but I've had, like, my friend Luke that I'm good friends with had a weird... Synchronicity. Yeah, and we're going to yeah. I'm going to see if I can get his permission to talk about that, and or if he can write it out on the next episode, or I'll talk about it because I was there kind of for it. So a lot of synchronicities, but yeah. a lot of people said that one was like really, wow, like it hit them, like trippy and yeah. and hard to get into, in a way, you know, like hard to fathom in a way. A little bit. So this one, I wanted to do something that was like complete opposite of that. This one is kind of more just a. Uh, I wanted this one to be fun, but then once I started doing the last <laughs> segment on here, it's not fun. So this might, I might even make this an explicit okay. episode because it kind of gets into child molestation, Ooh, sugar. which, yeah. So, so I avoided some yeah, of the stuff. Yeah, maybe this is not for the strangelings then. That, the last segment might not be, okay. but 
it, it's hard to talk about that without talking about some of the stuff. Yeah. Um, so this one, I wanted to be kind of a lighter episode, just kind of like a history lesson. But then, but there is a little strangeness with the end too, because a lot of people still to this day believe that something more was going on there than people think. Okay. But it's an interesting story. I've been super interested in it. Uh, so yeah, I don't even know what I was rambling about anymore. Was I going somewhere with this or <laughs> You're not? You're asking the wrong person. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, so this one is going to be a little light in the strangeness. Okay. But it's still just bizarre. I think it's a good topic. I think it, we've had a couple it. people actually specifically request this topic. So we're going to do it. All right. We have two packages to open. Uh, we got one in the mail, the big package we got yesterday or the day before. But yeah, we're going to save we'll that save for next time. Sorry. So we're going to open <laughs> these two. We, what's this? Chris is going to open these two. <laughs> Trying to figure out how to pass it across the table here. Um, oh, do you want my? T- I brought yes. my multi tool. Wait, yes. We should like one of our marketing things could be like a strange sessions package opener. Hey, right? For me at least. Yeah. <laughs> Just make it one says tear at perforation open. I call BS on that. Yeah, give me that. And Krista needs to watch the last episode of unsolved mysteries yeah i'm not there yet i think it's the only one i have the ufo one was pretty crazy yeah i like that one i feel like we're forgetting to talk about something i feel like we are too i also feel like (laughs) who's this from who sent it Uh, i don't know but it's bigfoot balls (laughs) (laughs) mysterious flavors oh no sour crunchies Sour crunchies. Oh, boy. Yeah, can you piece together maybe who this came from? Sorry, I cut right through the label. I'm super helpful. I don't know who the Bigfoot balls... Look how cute this is. It is. I don't know who the Bigfoot balls are from, but thank you. Yeah. And let us know who sent us the Bigfoot balls. Sour crunchies. It's hard to say. Mysteriously delicious. Maybe. Maybe, hopefully. Nope. Nope. Not a selfie. (laughs) That's adorable. Krista actually Look picked... At, he's like covering <laughs> he his man covering parts. His, his manhood. His Krista parts. actually picked me up at the park and ride today so we would have more time to talk before we record so we could talk about stuff we need to talk about on the podcast. Which and we did not do. <laughs> we did a little bit. Did we? But what then it just got to... Other stuff. Other stuff. Okay. You ready? Am I busting this open? Okay. I gotta make sure there's no pecans in there. Okay. okay. All right. We had to edit out a couple uh, explicit... <laughs> exclamations from Krista. Apparently I'm in a mood today. Apparently she is in a mood. Oh, look how easy I opened that though. Boom. Hmm. I did not I s- think... I smell fruit. I didn't know <laughs> Bigfoot balls would smell like fruit. I did not think... Well... I mean... You know... Maybe he's... You know... He eats a lot of berries. They're always like... If he's standing in a field, it'd be more grassy than... Okay. Wow, he's got big balls. Well, They're bigger he than does. I expected. I don't smell. They don't smell. I just got a light fruit scent from them, I guess. Interesting. Okay, are you ready? So I'm I'm assuming they all have a different flavor. I. It, yeah, it just says mysterious flavors. Oh, boy. Okay. Hang on. I got to read this. Okay. Crunchy, crunchy, crunchy outer shell, soft, chewy center. Finding Bigfoot, what, <laughs> finding Bigfoot, what part of him? Was never so much fun. Flavor? It's a mystery, just like Bigfoot. Relax. They're fruity and sour. Nuff said. 
Nuff. Nuff said. Nuff said. Okay, are you ready? Are you ready for your big football? I am. Let's do it. Oh, oh that is sour. sour. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> your face. Oh. 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 <laughs> I would love to take a picture of your face right now. Kurt is offended right now. <laughs> Once you get through that. They're better, though. They're, yeah. they're good. Mm-hmm. It tastes like mm-hmm. a... It tastes like oh, those. It's sour, though. I oh my god! Oh my god! <laughs> it tastes like those red chewy balls. I think I know what you're talking about. I'm not a big candy person, but I know what you're not like gumdrops. No, but it's like a red ball <laughs> that tastes like cherry. Oh my god! Yeah, that was definitely cherry flavored. Oh, <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> oh. I seriously want to take a picture of you right now. I have another one here, and I'm good. Wow. That's, um... They're really good once you get past that initial sourness, so... It's kind of like... It tastes like a cherry candy. It's kind of like how spicy food is. At first, it's offensive, <laughs> yeah, but then yeah. you go back for more. But that first sourness... Oh, it's really sweet, though. I have to get through the sour. <sighs> like, I think I have a cavity... <laughs> Oh, I think I hurt my right eye. Right now, I just developed a cavity. You hurt your eye. <laughs> when I was twitching from the sourness. <laughs> we were warned about this episode. We were warned, but they were not kidding. Okay, I'm saving that one for later. Uh, wow. No, you got to pop it now. Oh, come on. Kurt's making me. <laughs> you, got, you put that Bigfoot ball in your mouth. Fine. Oh. Wow. <laughs> See, oh, my God. That's the exact face that I made. Yeah. <laughs> I cannot believe how sour it just, those are. It like, smacks you in the face. Yep. It's better than the fish, but... <laughs> Bigfoot balls smacked in the face oh. aren't any better. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I like it, though. Once I get through that sourness, I like those. <laughs> it's very overwhelming to my taste buds. Yeah. Okay. Whew. Okay. okay. Next package. My eyes are almost watering. Good lord. So, okay. <laughs> next package for Krista to open. It has I like an after effect. This one is a tin of something. Great. Nothing good has ever come out of a tin on this like, show. I'm just beer saying. nuts come in a tin, and I like beer nuts. But not on this show. No, we have... Yeah, I don't know who this is from either. This might be from... Heather Chambers. I'm not sure. People, because you need I think to put this, like a note in here. So yeah, but can they, thank they you. can't because if they're having it shipped from somewhere to us, oh, they right. don't necessarily say. But I believe this is from Heather Chambers or the Bigfoot balls are from Heather Chambers. Oh, no, that's going to be good. These nuts. These nuts. We have a theme going with our uh, food here. We got Bigfoot balls and these nuts. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, this is just like receipts. So this came from Amazon. Thanks, Amazon. <laughs> I believe it was Heather Chambers. Okay. Oh, okay. It's D's nuts. And D is a, a woman. A very grandmotherly looking woman. <laughs> Everyone loves D's nuts is what it says. Oh, my God. <laughs> the innuendos alone in this episode. I know. You're going to get explicit. Yeah. Okay. Do am I opening this part? Do you even have to ask? <laughs> ask your tarot cards. <laughs> Ooh, all right. Well, they smell good. Okay. Oh, they're dill pickle. That's not going to be bad. Oh. I've... Okay, hold on. Let me take a picture of that. Patience. <clears throat> I'm like a kid okay. reaching across the table and swinging my <laughs> hand around to get it. <laughs> 
You grab some nuts? I, yes, Kurt, I grabbed some of these nuts. <laughs> okay. Oh, my Lord. Okay, are you ready? Ready. Mmm. Oh, mm. Okay, that's not bad. No, these are good. Yeah, they're good. I mean, nuts in general are good. Mmm. Like everything that comes out of my mouth today. Okay. <laughs> These are really good. No, they are good. They're like the just the perfect. Just a hint am- of dill. Yeah, but it's just like the perfect amount mm-hmm. of dill. Yeah, I I agree. Oh, what are we giving the oh shoot. Bigfoot balls? Um, I'll give them like a five. A five. I'm not a big fan of candy. I'm gonna like give if those them, were covered in chocolate. Yeah. I'd be going crazy right now, but I'm gonna give them an eight. Wow. Because I thought they were, were and if you're into like sour foods, like some people are. I'm not. No, I'm not either. <laughs> so if you if you were into sour, you'd give them higher? Yeah. What do you give these? Holy moly, we have so many comments already. Um what do I give these? These, these. are these are a ten. I'm a big fan of, of nuts. peanuts. <laughs> I'm gonna stop saying that. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm a big fan of I I just snack on nuts a lot. <laughs> Come on. Wow. Anyway. I uh, <laughs> you thought that last episode was a, a dumpster fire? <laughs> oh my god! Okay. I realized this week that I cannot buy a jar of peanuts because I will eat them. Just in eat two the whole sittings. thing in one yeah, sitting. I, 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 that's another thing that I am physically unable to stop once I start. And I love these. These are like perfect. Yeah, the, amount, the amount of dill mm-hmm. is perfect, and they're really salty. And the yeah. saltier the nuts, the better. Um. Yep. These are perfect. Yeah, they're good. You can take those home. Well, thank you. This I will gladly take home. Okay, that's it for testicle talk with Kurt and Krista. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> oh, I'm sure there's more. I'm sure there's more. Okay. Let's save that Driver for next time. Of the serious bus. Yes. Okay. Because we had two taste test things this time. I hope this didn't expire. I don't think it can expire. I think it's this might have been. Table for, I don't this know might have been from Adam and Sophie. Oh my god. Uh, it's from. It's from, It's called Jubes. It's a lychee flavored cube that looks like gelatin. Yeah. So I don't it think looks slimy. I don't think it can go bad. But we're going to save that for next time, so we'll have probably two taste test things for next time. Those are some good taste test things. Mm-hmm. Are you going to take the Bigfoot balls? I love that we had a theme. Are you going to take the Bigfoot balls? Because if not, I'll take them. I think the bag is adorable, but uh, yeah, I'm not going to eat them, so you can take them. Let's find another bag, and I'll take the... We'll leave the container here, but I'll take the okay. balls. All right. There's a cup you could probably put them in. Put your balls in a cup, Kurt. Uh, just open? Well, I don't think we have any... Um, plastic containers we got we, there's probably a bags. plastic bag oh, yeah. or maybe i'll bring them home and i'll bring the container back yeah, next time go. i'll grab my balls when i leave logistics of bigfoot balls really complicated <laughs> no. okay all right are we ready to dive into today's topic i'm ready are you ready i am ready okay i was born ready for this were you no not really it is the 1980s satanic panic which i was around for me too it was the, you know, I say it on here a lot. I don't remember any of it, but the I was 80s alive were, <laughs> The 80s were a weird time, you know. Yeah. So, jumping into the main story, 
Uh, like I said, last episode was pretty heady and a lot to absorb, so I wanted to go with a little more down-to-earth one this week. And it was the Satanic Panic, which was a huge moral panic going on during the 1980s. I love that in your mind, the Satanic Panic is a little bit more down-to-earth. Well, it is. I mean, it's... It's it's, it's built up more than it was, right? Yeah. So it wasn't... No, I mean, it, it was a bad thing, and... Uh, I we'll get that we'll get to that at the end. You already did it. <laughs> I you already didn't even did it. Start. I already. We gotta come Jeez. up with a term for that. What? Curded. Yeah, you curded me. I, I totally curded you already. <laughs> so a lot of people believe that the seeds for the satanic panic of the 1980s were planted as far back as the Manson family murders in 1969. The Manson family murders were unbelievably brutal and bloody and shocking for the time, completely flipping the whole peace, love, and happiness vibe of the hippie movement. I'm not obsessed with, but I love anything Manson family yeah, related. Yeah, it's fascinating, actually. I just read the book Chaos. I can't remember the author's name, but it's about... Bridget actually told me about it because Bridget bought it. So she sent me a, a texted me a picture of it. Mm-hmm. So I went to the library and got it, and it's basically about how... This this reporter that was doing a story on him came to think that there's a lot more going on than people realize. Okay. That uh, like there was more behind what was there, happening. Yeah, and okay. it was it was like he had been busted for things in the months and years prior to the Manson family murders yeah. that he should have been jailed for. Okay. Or that his family members should have been jailed for, and orders always came down not to do that. Hmm. So there's a lot of talk in the book about him possibly being involved in MK Ultra and Really? Yeah, and like not him, but like his parole officer was like doing studies on how amphetamines and speed affects violence. That he, I mean it was more like a testing thing and then, then there was stuff about MK Ultra which we're going to have an episode about probably this season because mm-hmm. I keep talking about it. But it was a really interesting book, and it made me kind of wonder if there wasn't a lot more to the, fa- the, the Manson family murders than, than people realize. But hmm. anything Manson-related, I'm really fascinated with. It's just that whole, um, the, the mindset behind the people that were part of that yeah. group. It's like, what? Yeah. What was... uh, basically, he destroyed their minds with yeah. LSD and then programmed them to do what he wanted right. them to do. What he wanted, like you know, classic, it's just, yeah. I mean, classic, classic cult could, stuff. Yeah, classic cult stuff. You know, so that a lot of people believe that's where the seeds for the satanic panic were were planted because Manson often called himself both God and Satan in one body. And Charles Watson, one of the murderers, told one of the victims, quote, I am the devil and I'm here to do the devil's business before he killed them. Hmm. So there was a lot of Satanism kind of tied in with the whole Manson family murders. And that same year, Anton LaVey published the Satanic Bible, which pretty much threw everyone in a tizzy that he publishes Satanic Bible. And I mean, it's available at the public library in Manitowoc. Really? And stuff. Yeah. Have and you I read s- it? I've, I've paged through it. Satanism is one of those things that, you know, I'm not, it's not I'm a, not like defending Satanism, no, but, but I, it, it's one of those things that gets a bad rap. Or totally, I, I've talked about it yeah, on here yeah. that when I was going to college in Green Bay, one of my classmates was an actual card carrying member of the Church of Satan. So I talked to him about it and he's like, no, he's like, it's, 
nobody sacrifices animals. I mean, the whole thing about Satanism is that, you know, they kind of don't even believe Satan exists because in order for that, you have to believe that God exists and they don't believe God exists. They think that we are the supreme beings and that we live to pleasure ourselves. Mm -hmm. So it's a very hedonistic thing. It's not necessarily evil, but it's very hedonistic. So I think some people take that as a... Yes, anytime you mention something satanic... No, but I think people use it as an excuse to do bad things. Oh yeah, totally. But that's not the whole of it. But it's like the offshoots and the wackos yes. that go out and, and cut up cats and dogs and kids and pentagrams and stuff right. like that that are, give satanism a bad name although i don't think pentagrams in general are a no bad thing. but it's become associated it's with you know yeah. anybody that sees anything like that is automatically like you know get thee behind me satan mm-hmm. and all that stuff so all of this set the stage for the 1970s a decade that was very preoccupied with the occult which we've talked about in the past mm-hmm. you know Uh, We've talked about this in previous episodes. In 1971, William Peter Blatty's best-selling novel, The Exorcist, was published, followed by the blockbuster film coming out in 1973, which I have yet to watch, but I am going to watch it. I am. I still can't believe you've never seen this movie. No, because there's always this this stigma attached to it, how how evil it is and, and all that, and it always kind of freaked me out, so I just never... I mean, I haven't seen it in... A couple decades, probably, but I think it would affect me differently now than it did then. Yeah, because, because I'm going to watch it and be like, oh, that was actually kind of dumb. It, sort of. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it'll have the same impact because yeah, it's not but as... But Brian, you know, that does his, his, his history ramblings. History one? Of, yeah, yeah. That, uh, he's like a huge Exorcist fan. He so. even says it's not a horror movie. No, and he's talked to me about it, and I, I totally see where he's coming from, but after I watch it, I want to talk to him about it. It's definitely creepy. Yeah. So after the runaway success of The Exorcist, a whole slew of devil-obsessed films followed, often called hexploitation films. Say that again? (laughs) Hexploitation, (laughs) which I thought is actually kind of funny. It's not sexploitation, it's Mm -hmm. hexploitation. These films included such movies as The Devil's Reign, Satan's Slaves, The Burning Hell, and Satan's Cheerleaders, but also included included high-profile films like 1976's hit movie The Omen, Mm. you know, which I remember. Yep. Satan's cheerleaders, I need to see because that just sounds awesome. <laughs> of course. <laughs> so add to this the huge growing interest in the paranormal with movies like the Amityville Horror and TV shows like In Search Of and the popularity of things like astrology and witchcraft and you have a decade that is just steeped in the occult. Mm. And it really was. I mm-hmm. mean, I mean, astrology was a huge thing in the 70s. Mm. You know, it's kind of really not anymore, I don't think. Yeah, I think it's more... I, I think people are still doing that i don't i don't feel like people like look at their horoscopes as much as they used to that was like a novelty yeah i mean i never took something like that seriously but i think there are people who who do take that stuff seriously yeah but i just remember it's just not as mainstream as it probably was back then yeah i just remember that was a huge thing in the same along with the the, you know fears over witchcraft and Hmm. all that stuff and in real life in the 70s, you have some of the most frightening and prolific serial killers out there running around. The decade started out with the Zodiac Killer, who I'm fascinated with. I'm super fascinated with the Zodiac Killer. Uh, the Hillside Stranglers and the Son of Sam, David Berkowitz. Do you say plural? Yes, because there were more than one really? person doing the killings, which I did not know, I didn't know that. until I was uh, researching this. Hmm. Because I kept seeing it referred to as the Hillside Stranglers. And I was like, is that wrong? And then I looked it up and I'm like, no, there was more than one person doing the killings. Okay. So I didn't know that either. You know, considering that I'm kind of like a serial killer buff, I'm surprised that I didn't mm-hmm. know that. 
Well, I've never heard it referred to as the Hillside Stranglers, plural. I never That's did either. That's the first time I've heard I never that. did either. Maybe it's a Mandela effect. Ooh. Oh. So lots of serial killers. Uh, there was John, I believe John Wayne Gacy was too, was active in the 70s. Okay. You know, he was a creepy one. Mm-hmm. So when the 80s come around, there's kind of this lingering feeling that the 70s were not a good place and created some really bad mojo. So people were already kind of on edge about the interest in the occult and the paranormal and all that stuff. In 1980, a book was published called Michelle Remembers. It became a huge bestseller. It was written by psychologist Lawrence Pazder and his wife Michelle Smith. The book talked about a patient of Pazder's, Pazder's, Pazder's. <laughs> you said it the same way all the time. <laughs> I don't have my regular glasses, so I'm having a oh. hard time reading. Um, bu- bu- you want bu- my sunglasses? Bu- yeah, just I'll put on your sunglasses. <laughs> the book talked about a patient of Pazder's who, under hypnosis, gave a detailed account of undergoing ritualistic abuse by members of the Church of Satan when she was a child. Almost from the very start, everything about the book was thoroughly debunked, but by this time, Pazder was already being used on the talk show circuit as an expert in satanic abuse. Hmm. So right there, you already kind of got a problem going on. Right. Geraldo Rivera's uh, television special, Devil Worship, Exposing Satan's Underground in 1988, definitely didn't help. It talked about heavy metal lyrics and satanic symbolism in concert stage shows, about satanic serial killers... And just all this crazy stuff. I mean, we're going to get into it in a little bit, but but beliefs that children's cartoons were satanic hmm. and stuff like that. So an educational film from 1984 called, quote, Turmoil in the Toy Box, talks about how Scooby-Doo promotes ghosts and the occult, about how He-Man was blasphemous, and that the Smurfs were satanic because they were transgendered and showed signs of homosexuality. Papa Smurf also wore a red cap, and Gargamel the Wizard drew pentagram-like signs. Mm. Hmm. That's interesting. E.T. was accused of mocking Christianity because E.T. dies and is resurrected. So people legitimately believe this stuff. Like, you can watch... I don't remember if the whole video is on, but you can watch clips of that turmoil in the toy box where they're talking about how... He-Man calls himself the master of the universe when Jesus is the master of the universe, so he is blaspheming, blaspheming, blaspheming Jesus by calling himself master. That's just people looking. I know, I know. Some of the stuff about the Smurfs, you know, like one of the things is that they're a coven of witches and that Papa Smurf is the warlock, you know, and that Smurfette is just used for sexual... Uh, <laughs> oh rituals. God. I mean, there's people. Oh, okay. There's people that legitimately believe this stuff. It's a cartoon, you know. People. But there was just. I mean, there, there was some messed up cartoons. There out was there, this but... underlying suspicion I... that Satanists were trying to indoctrinate kids. Hmm. And I've talked about that in another episode about the toys that I used to see some like really sketchy yeah. toys. Yeah. That are kind of like. Like what the heck's like, going well, on? Yeah. What is going on? How but, did that get past yeah, marketing? Yeah. yeah. But this stuff, I'm not really buying that He-Man was blasphemy. No. You know, and that Scooby-Doo promoted the occult because there were ghosts and it was always some dude in a there mask. There was never ghosts, no. though. That's the thing. <laughs> no. But, you know, so there is a... So that's turmoil in the toy box. Turmoil in the toy box. Sounds like my childhood. I'm just kidding. I had a great childhood. <laughs> One of the big things affected by the 1980s satanic panic actually came out in 1974 but its popularity expanded greatly with a scene in the 1982 huge hit movie E.T., where at the beginning of the movie, some of the characters are seeing rolling dice and playing a game. Okay. What is that? 
What game are they yeah. playing? What was one of the big things in a satanic panic that people were worried about? Dice, game, Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, okay. Sorry. Because in the movie, they were in the I'm movie like... they were playing Dungeons and Dragons, and that was like the first time that a lot of people were clued into what Dungeons and Dragons was because it was kind of an underground game before that. But how, what does that have to do with Satanism? Because well, we'll get to that. Okay. Oh my god. <laughs> but this is one of the <laughs> just got curted. I did. This is one of the big things about the Satanic Panic was Dungeons and Dragons is is bad. Okay. With a capital B. This is of course. Dungeons have you ever played Dungeons and Dragons? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. When I was a kid. Okay. And I'm not Satanic. I don't think. <laughs> So You're this not. is, of course, Dungeons <laughs> & Dragons. Up until then, Dungeons & Dragons was sort of well-known in certain circles and was being played, but around the time that E.T. came out, the game totally blew up. This was something pretty new, and the talk of casting spells or, quote, a dungeon master kind of freaked people out, especially parents. And then the game started to be blamed for all sorts of death and mayhem. The 1982 TV movie called Mazes and Monsters starred a young Tom Hanks. Yeah, that's a terrible movie. It's a bad movie. I I've tried watched, watching it. And I've I was watched like, no. parts of it. It's so bad. And Tom Hanks is so young in that yeah. movie. Yeah. But, he probably wishes he could cross yeah, that. Yeah, I think up. I've seen him say that he wishes that was oh. not his one of his debuts. The movie Mazes and Monsters told the story of James Dallas Egbert III. In 1979, the 16-year-old prodigy vanished from his Michigan State University dorm room. 16 years old, and he was in a Michigan State University dorm room. So he, okay, he was a prodigy. He... he was a prodigy. 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 Huh. Say that again? Prodigy. Prodigy. Pro- <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute. Wow. That's still not right. Yeah, I was prodigy, totally messing prodigy, that up. Prodigy. <laughs> in 1979, the 16-year-old prodigy... Prodigy vanished from his Michigan State University dorm room, leaving a suicide note. A private investigator called in to look for the boy was examining a board with a pattern of pushpins and realized that the arrangement of the pins fit the shape of the campus buildings, including the campus power plant. Uh, He found out that Egbert played Dungeons and Dragons, so he asked for permission to search the steam tunnels that ran underneath the campus, and in one of the tunnels he found evidence that Egbert had been there and had most likely planned to commit suicide in the tunnels, but there was no body. The detective told the media that he theorized Egbert had went into the tunnels either playing a live version game of Dungeons & Dragons or that he had snapped and believed he was actually his Dungeons & Dragons character. So were people playing live version? Like I don't think people were LARPing. Okay. I don't know. I know... Uh, I don't know how long LARPing has been around. Or, but... uh, Barry, our friend Barry's yeah. daughter. Yes, Berrigan. Berrigan. I think she LARPs. And I know people that LARP. I've and it's been... actually kind of cool. I it would is like pretty to, cool, actually. I would like to do it once. Just to see what it's like. And that's, I'd like to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> he would like to get out there with a sword Probably and a shield. Probably not. No, no, no. I don't know. I think it's kind of cool. But I don't believe at the time that people were LARPing. They may have been, but I don't think it was like it is now where it's right. kind of like a commonplace thing now. Mm-hmm. But they, they, this detective thought that he went nuts and believed he was his Dungeons & Dragons characters going into the tunnels underneath the uh, power plant. Egbert was eventually tracked down by the detective. He had made his way to New Orleans. New Orleans. New Orleans. I love how you're pronouncing everything three times. I know. (laughs) He had made his way to New Orleans 
Egbert told the detective that he had tried taking an overdose of sleeping pills in the tunnels, but it didn't work. He also told the detective that his problems stemmed from academic pressure, parental pressure, and drug use, and that gaming played absolutely no part in it. It was more of a release than anything. Yeah, he's a 16-year-old yeah. who's in college. Yeah. That's got to be really, yeah. that's a lot of pressure. Yeah, that is a lot of pressure. And he, and he, But he said, no, the game playing was a release. It yeah. was not the, the cause, cause of me wanting to kill myself. Hmm. Egbert later did end up committing suicide in 1980, but his parents never blamed gaming for his death. But by this time, the idea that D&D was responsible for his death was out there and there was no taking it back. Mm-hmm. And But yeah, it, that movie was based on a true, hmm. a true story. Interesting. But a lot of people believe... A lot of people believe falsely that this guy died in the tunnels, and he didn't. He went to the tunnels to try to kill himself. But he did not die in the tunnels, but a lot of people believe that Dungeons & Dragons caused him to go nuts and go in the tunnels and kill himself. Okay. According to an April 11th, 2014 BBC News article called, quote, The Great 1980s Dungeons & Dragons Panic, the article says, quote, In 1982, high school student Irving Lee Pulling died after shooting himself in the chest. Despite an article in the Washington Post at the time commenting how Pulling had trouble fitting in, his mother, Patricia Pulling, believed her son's suicide was caused definitely by him playing Dungeons & Dragons. Mm. Again, it was clear that there were more complex psychological factors going on. I think that as a parent, you want to have a reason or yeah. something to blame. Yeah, so. exactly. And, and that's, that's, or anyone that's, that's going to be a common thread in yeah. all of this is that you are looking for something, for something to blame. Yeah. Victoria Rocker Charlie, a classmate of Irving Pulling, commented that, quote, he had a lot of problems anyway that weren't associated with the game. Mm. But again, it's going to get, it gets out there. That's that, newsworthy, though, yeah. is that he played Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, exactly. At first, Patricia Pulling attempted to sue her son's high school principal, claiming that the curse placed upon her son's character during a game run by the school principal was real. She also sued TSR Inc., the publishers of Dungeons and Dragons. Despite the court dismissing these cases, Pulling continued her campaign by forming a group called BADD, Bothered About Dungeons & Dragons. Hmm. So she created a group called BAD in 1983. Pulling described Dungeons & Dragons as, quote, a fantasy role-playing game which uses demonology, witchcraft, voodoo, murder, rape, blasphemy, suicide, assassination, insanity, sex perversion, homosexuality, prostitution, satanic-type rituals, gambling, barbarism, cannibalism, sadism, desecration, demon summoning, necromantics, divination, and other teachings. What's barbarism? That's just being just... Barbaric? Barbaric. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, so she wow. said Dungeons and Dragons is all that. it was just a card game. No, it's not a card game. It's a... a is it a board game? A, um, not a board game directly <laughs> either. It's this. more like you have... You take on... You take a on a persona. Master. I mean, I've watched There's a dungeon master that, that... <laughs> that's right. It wasn't Stranger Things. There's yeah. a dungeon master that runs you through all runs these things the and you have dice and it's like, I want to shoot a fireball at that slime and okay. then they roll the dice to see if you hit the slime. The dungeon master is basically like narrating a story as they go along you can have maps you're making maps as your group goes but you know and that was one of the things is that they said it contained actual spell casting (laughs) it's not when you're saying you know i want to shoot a fireball at that flying wasp that's that's not not actual spell casting but at the time people thought that these kids were legitimately doing spells Hmm. were like casting spells playing this game 
Polling and BADD launched an intensive media campaign through conservative Christian outlets as well as mainstream media, including an appearance on the show 60 Minutes opposite D&D co-creator Gary Gygax. I wanted to see that clip, but I could not find it. Hmm. I wanna, I'm going to keep looking because I want to see... I'm fascinated by the Dungeons and Dragons because I was... That's right around the time I started playing Dungeons and Dragons. My dad went out with me to Woolworths when I was like 12 and I because I saw this there and I was kind of interested in it so I bought like the advanced Dungeons and Dragons set and me and my brother Corey and a couple other people fooled around with it but we never really got into it it seems like a really in-depth involved game it is I, like, I have it's not friends you just don't sit down and play no, it takes a I lot of planning friends that I worked with at the factory that a group of them get together every Sunday night. And then he would come over by me and run scenarios past Mm. me that he wanted to do for campaigns. That's cool. Yeah. And I mean, it's, I mean, I could see how people would really get. Yeah. Because it's cool. I mean, when I played it when I was younger, it was fun, Mm -hmm. but I just never kept up with it, you know, but this was right around the time when I remember, like I was kind of surprised my dad let me buy it because there was such an outcry about it at this time that Mm. this would lead you down a path to Satanism. You know, which looking back... How old were you? 12. Mm. I'm sure your dad trusted you, though. Yeah. But I I, I want to look for these clips. I could see maybe this getting in the hands of someone who's really impressionable and playing with people who are maybe, I don't know, Yeah, but not on the know, up and up. But That's the thing is that... Uh, that could happen with any game. Yeah. You know, it's just... It's a, like a... This whole thing is like a strange mixture of like laughable and sad. Because mm-hmm. it kind of is. You know, I understand a parent's grief, yes. like lashing out and looking for mm-hmm. something to blame. Mm-hmm. But this was just in the right place at the right time, and parents didn't understand what the kids were doing with the game. And granted, there was really nothing like this before Dungeons and Dragons. So this was something completely new. Mm-hmm. So they didn't know what was going on. And add to that the fact that uh, I don't know how to put this without sounding insulting. But like, not so much now. But back then, a lot of people who played Dungeons and Dragons were kind of like the geeky. Yeah, they were like the, the outcasts. Yes, totally. And you know this. I think it's become more cool now. Yeah, it has. But back then, it, it was kind the of thing you wasn't. Didn't tell people it kind about. of wasn't. Yeah, it was sort because of it was secret. like an insult to play Dungeons and Dragons. Right. But you know, these kids found people like them. Yes. and played this. And parents might have seen a change in their kids because of that, mm. might have become more rebellious because they were, they had like a a peer group right. that would back them up. Which isn't a bad thing. No, which is not a bad thing, but parents might see that change as satanic. But this was a huge thing. I remembered that Dungeons and Dragons was so bad. Well, and I could see how you could get a little obsessed with it too. Oh, yeah. And so... Oh, yeah. I mean, that's... that's that could be worrisome. There's people that play with like wizards hats on and yeah. dress like their characters and that's not necessarily a bad thing. No. I mean, I think it's cool. I think it's a healthy hobby, I You know, guess. like I love video game RPGs like Final Fantasy. Yeah. How is that really any different that I'm controlling right. my character and doing what I want my character to do? It's actually a lot more visceral than playing yeah. a board yeah. game. So no, I, it's just, you know, and then... What another thing we're going to come up with the next one is that because it had this mystique of being bad, more people wanted sure. to play it. You know, so it actually the the bad uh, rep bothered about Dungeons and Dragons 
you know, kind of increased people wanting to play the game because mm-hmm. they were saying that this is bad and it's a gateway and it's evil and stuff. So, of course, people are going to be kind of curious. Mm-hmm. So, I think this whole thing backfired and I think it caused Dungeons & Dragons to be more popular than it <laughs> might have been in the first place. So, yeah, I mean, that was Dungeons & Dragons was a big one. I mm. remember that. So, and I'm putting this in here because I thought this was kind of cool. Uh, it was a December 12, 2002 article on Mental Floss called, quote, 12 Nutty Dungeons & Dragons Media Mentions from the 1980s. And it had this letter that a woman wrote that I just put in here because I really like this letter. It's from Glenna Burns Beckner, Pleasant Plains, Illinois. Dear Editor, this has been an interesting week. Sunday night, I turned into the tail end of 60 Minutes and was confronted with some lady in a big flap about the game Dungeons & Dragons. I never did get her point, whether she wanted the game taken off the market or just wanted to publicly air her sorrow over the suicide of her son, which she blames on D&D. I commiserate. Losing a teen or preteen child to suicide must be the most agonizing thing a parent can face. The rest of it I took with a grain of salt. My younger son has played Dungeons & Dragons since the third grade, and it never occurred to me to check him for suicidal tendencies. In the eight years he has been playing, I've spent close to $600 on books, modules, dice, figurines, and other accoutrements of the game. I guarantee you, when I spend that kind of money, I pay attention to what it's all about. I've listened to many an hour of them playing. I don't exactly see what they get out of it. It seems rather boring to me. But I've had games continue on the kitchen table for days, and I fail to see the harm in it. Two days later, I hear on the radio that ACDC cannot appear at the Prairie Capital Convention Center because the local clergy and a few concerned parents think their music promotes Satanism. Amazing. Now I suppose I'll have to keep watch on my cats and the neighbor's dog in case my son decides to indulge in some of the more gory rites of satanic sacrifices. After all, we have and play every album that ACDC's ever put out. I secretly wanted to go to the concert myself, but really couldn't because first, I'd embarrass my kids to death, and second, my eardrums can't take the decibel level that they could when I was 16. But if I did decide to go, I surely wouldn't do so in fear of my mortal soul or that of my sons. If people didn't want their kids to go, keep them home. Or if they don't want them playing Dungeons & Dragons, don't buy the game. What has that to do with the rest of us? I think this is all brouhaha and is ridiculous. So I I really like that. Yeah, that's, yeah. I, I actually think the game could help kids build it, valuable it skills. It does. It does. It, it gets them collaboration, to collaboration. It, it strategy. Them strategy. Yeah, exactly. It gets them like doing things with other people. Mm-hmm. And people at the time didn't look at that aspect of it. They looked at the fact that they're casting spells against monsters and there's warlocks and, and demons and you can summon a demon and stuff like that. So It's like just using your imagination. I know, but I... Like I said, it was a weird decade. <laughs> really, yeah. it was a weird decade. But I just remember this was like a huge thing, Dungeons and Dragons. But in that letter, the mention of ACDC gets us to our second topic, which was heavy metal. Mm. And this was a big '80s thing. I was, I was kind of a metalhead a little bit. I loved Iron Maiden. Hmm. To this day, I still love Iron Maiden. Metallica is the only like metal band I ever got into. My friend Jim, all like the one that listens to the podcast, mm-hmm. when I told him how much I liked Iron Maiden, he was actually he actually said that he didn't because they were satanic and bad. You know, <laughs> looking back. But were they? Wasn't it just all symbolism? It was all symbolism. Yeah. Iron Maiden were not. It was like putting on a show. Yeah, but like, they had a song the called "The Number of the Beast," and that's what people focused on. Mm. That that's bad. Yes. and it was about a dream he had. It had nothing to do it. But at the time, it was. Heavy metal was kind of scary at the time. So, heavy metal. On the night of December 23rd, 1985, 20-year-old James Vance and 18-year-old Raymond Belknap 
were hanging out together in one of the men's basements, drinking, smoking pot, and listening to heavy metal music, after which they headed to a local playground and attempted suicide by shooting themselves in the head with a 12-gauge shotgun. Attempted? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Belknap was the first to go, placing the shotgun under his chin, dying immediately after pulling the trigger. Shortly after that, Vance also shot himself, completely destroying the lower half of his face, but surviving oh the shot. God. Vance had major, several major reconstructive surgeries on his face, but ended up dying three years later from complications he suffered that night in the park. And I am going to show you a picture oh, really? of this poor guy. I, I, am I going to be I, horrified for yes, like the next Yes, because I, I, look, I Googled it and I was like, oh my God. Why are you doing this to me? <laughs> <laughs> because you need to know what I'm talking about. Because you want to traumatize me? Because <laughs> I enjoy oh traumatizing you. Can I like do this? <laughs> Cover my eyes. And this is him after the reconstructive surgeries. I There was a girl who was in the news <laughs> late, <laughs> recently who tried to kill herself and she destroyed her face and she had to have a face That's so and horrible. Just, That's yeah. so But this is James Vance. Oh, okay, I'm ready. Wow. I think I've seen him before. Now that I see yeah. that, oh, good Lord. Yeah. And I mean, God, my heart just goes out to the guy because... Yeah. I mean, you thought you wanted to end your life before. Yeah. yeah. And then he dies from complications three yeah. years later. Yeah. Jeez. So that's just horrible. Yeah. And I remember when this happened. I remember this mm-hmm. being on the news and all this stuff. Lawyers representing the Belknap and Vance families believe that a subliminal message in a Judas Priest song that the two men repeatedly listened to that night was ultimately responsible for their decision to end their lives. And we talked about subliminal messages in another episode. Yeah, but I think if you are already thinking about something like that, it's easy for a song to push you over the edge. Music is really emotional. I don't... But but I I don't... don't, You're going to do it anyway. I, I don't think subliminal messages in a song would push you no. over the edge but i think listening to the song repeatedly if it has meaning to you yeah if it's telling you what you want to hear yeah but the song wasn't like ended all what is the ago. song the song was called uh ba it was called That's a weird name for a song <laughs> i'll get to that in a second because i cannot find it on my page but it's okay. here somewhere okay you just curtained me again. <laughs> I'm curtaining you left and right today. Vance's parents said that their son had been troubled for a long time prior to the suicide pact, but that he had recently changed for the better and had re-embraced his family's Christian faith and was reading the Bible before the, quote, garbage music of Judas Priest had again led him astray. Vance would later tell attorneys that he and Belknap were listening to Judas Priest when, quote, All of a sudden, we got a suicide message and we got tired of life. In a letter to Belknap's mother, he later wrote, quote, I believe that alcohol and heavy metal music such as Judas Priest led us to be mesmerized. So he kind of blamed, he's blaming it on the music, which Hmm. I didn't know if I, I don't think I knew that. He was partly blaming it on Judas Priest. I think if you're in that mindset, though, anything that even hints at what you're thinking about is going to influence you. And yeah. it's not that thing's fault. It's just the way, the mindset that you're in at the time. Yeah. Yeah. But I think he would have, they would have done this no matter what they were Absolutely. listening to. But Judas Priest got singled out as right. being the band that caused these guys to kill them, to cause the one guy to kill himself and the other guy to try to kill himself. I just think if you you have something on your mind, you're going to hear and notice snippets of that yep. in everything that you yep. do. It doesn't mean yep. that any of those things are influencing you. I just think... 
but this was a huge thing. So there was a trial. The trial lasted from July 16th to August 24th, 1990, and was kind of a circus and a huge media frenzy. And I remember this quite well because I was, I paid attention to this when this was going on. Uh, in our Subliminal Messages episode, we talked about Wilson Brian Key, the author that wrote Subliminal, Subliminal, Subliminal Seduction, uh, Media Sexploitation. He was like the expert, quote, on Subliminal Messages. And he spoke at the trial. So in an article for Skeptical Inquirer, Dr. Timothy E. Moore, who served as a witness for the defense, recalled one of the prosecution's experts, which is Wilson Brian Key, by suggesting, quote, it is possible that he undermined his own credibility with a court by giving his opinion that subliminal messages could be found on Ritz Crackers, the Sistine Chapel, Sears Catalogs, and on the NBC Evening News. Hmm. So Wilson Brian Key saw subliminals everywhere. Yeah. So having him go on there might have backfired because that made the whole thing look kooky. According to an article on ultimateclassicrock.com called, quote, when parents blame Judas Priest after two fans attempted suicide, the article says, quote, guitarist Glenn Tipton later conceded, it's a fact that if you play speech backwards, some of it will seem to make sense. So I asked permission to go in a studio and find some perfectly innocent phonetic flukes. The lawyers didn't want to do it, but I insisted. We bought a copy of the Judas Priest Stained Class album in a local record shop, went into the studio, recorded it to tape, turned it around, and played it backwards. Right away, we found the sentences, Hey, Ma, my chair's broken. Give me a peppermint and help me keep a job. So <laughs> Not exactly it's one of those things that you can... And I didn't want to get a lot into the backwards stuff because I do want to have probably a mini mystery about backwards messages in music mm -hmm. and other things. So I didn't want to get into that too much here. But that was the thing is that uh, people believed there were subliminal messages in the song by Judas Priest. I believe it was called Better By You, Better Than Me, or Better Than You, Better By Me, something like that. I'll get to it because it's in here somewhere, but I don't remember. I listened to the song and it's like not, you know, something that's going to make you kill yourself. Right. The suit was dismissed by the judge who ruled that the so-called subliminal message was a result of a studio error when mixing some background vocals. But something most people don't know is that the judge said he did believe there were subliminal messages throughout the album, but he didn't feel the messages could persuade someone to kill themselves. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people don't know that. A lot of people think that he just dismissed it, but he believed that there were subliminal messages on there. Judas Priest came on a, try on a stand and said, no, we did, we did a backwards message in one song. And the backwards message was just some of the song's lyrics mm. put backwards. So it was like, a, it was not a message. What people were hearing in the song was really faint. It was the singer saying, do it. Mm. Like repeating over and over, do it, do it. Mm. And that's where the suicide thing came from. Mm. But after listening to this, they figured out that it was just the amplified breathing of maybe the guitarist or somebody. It was just their breathing, and it wasn't somebody saying, do it. It was just the sound of them breathing. I mean, it's not, I'm sure this kid has regrets or had regrets and was looking for something to blame, too. Yeah, you know? yep. Again, from the Ultimate Classic Rock site, quote, Ultimately, while Judas Priest and CBS Records avoided legal responsibility for the deaths, nobody got what they wanted from the case. Not the plaintiffs, who were unable to blame outside influences on a family tragedy, not the defendants, who left the trial under a cloud of suspicion regarding subliminals. It tore us up emotionally hearing someone say to the judge and cameras that this is a band that creates music that kills young people, the singer Rob Halford later admitted. 
He said, quote, we accept that some people don't like heavy metal, but we can't let them convince us that it's negative and destructive. Heavy metal is a friend that gives people great pleasure and enjoyment and helps them through hard times, which I totally agree. Mm -hmm. I liked heavy metal in the 80s. I liked hair metal, which wasn't really satanic, but it kind of was because he had the whole Motley Crue. When Motley Crue came out, they were scary. I was like, whoa. Really? Like, yeah, like I, they had the makeup on and that was something you didn't really see before. Oh, they had the like pentagram, upside down pentagrams. <laughs> and yeah. I remember thinking, these guys are like satanic and creepy and I really? want nothing to do Motley with them. Crew? Yes. And like looking back now, it's like, really? I've never looked. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. So it's just one of those things that at the time I understand it because I thought Motley Crue were kind of. So did Kiss just totally freak you out or what? Yeah, they did. <laughs> they did. As a young kid, when I Kiss suppose. was around with their. There's these huge turkeys that are wandering around in the yard. They're fans. Interesting. Okay. But yeah, Kiss freaked me out when I was a kid, and I would see them with their makeup and stuff. And now I just realize that they're just a bunch of dudes with makeup on. Dudes that make with like wives and kids, overrated music. But yeah, Motley Crue creeped me Mm. out. They had the upside down pentagrams. They had all that stuff. I don't remember that. At the beginning. At the beginning, they did. It's actually in our teaser picture where I think there's a pentagram on the wall behind them. But I remember Motley Crue creeped me out. And looking back now, it's like, oh my God, that was so dumb. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So 1985, four women known as the Washington Wives formed a group called the Parents Music Resource Center or the PMRC. And I remember this like crazy when this was going on. Spearheaded by Al Gore's wife, Tipper Gore, the group pushed to develop some kind of labeled rating system for albums depending on their content, much like movies have. That's where that came from? Yes, much like movies have. They compiled a list of songs called The Filthy 15 that showed the prevalence of lyrics about sex, drugs, and the occult. Do you want to know The Filthy 15? Yeah, I do. Because I have them on here. They are Prince's song, Darling Nikki, which they said is about sex, masturbation, which it is because they mentioned masturbation in the song. The song Sugar Walls by Sheena Easton, which is about sex. And it is because Sugar Walls refers to her vagina, which I did not know at the time. Sugar Walls. But now looking at the lyrics, it's like, oh my, it was written by Prince. So right there. So, but it was, it was a dirty song and I loved the song at the time and I didn't realize it was about that. Another one is Eat Me Alive by Judas Priest, which is sex slash violence. A song by Vanity called Strap On Robbie Baby, which is about sex, which I've never heard. What music isn't about sex I don't know. Motley Crue's song Bastard, which is language. Language. ACDC's song Let Me Put My Love Into You, (laughs) which should just get flagged (laughs) for being like the dumbest double entendre you could think of. Oh my God. Twisted Sisters, We're Not Gonna Take It, which is violent. Madonna's Dress You Up, which is about sex. The song Animal by Wasp, which is sex slash language slash violence. The song High and Dry by Def Leppard, which is about alcohol use. The song Into the Coven by Merciful Fate, which is about the occult. Merciful Fate were sketchy, satanic. Never even heard They of were that. legit. They, they still scare me. We'll just say that. Okay. Uh, uh, King Diamond, the singer. I think he was a singer from them. King Diamond freaks me out. Uh, Black Sabbath song Trashed, which is about drug and alcohol use. The Mary Jane Girl song In My House, which is about sex. The song Possessed by Venom, which is about the occult. And the last one is the song Shebop by Cyndi Lauper, which is about masturbation. And it is. If you read the lyrics, it's totally about masturbation. And I, that, I loved that song when I was like in high school. Wow. And I never once put together that that song was about no. masturbation, but it totally is. I'll have to Google it. Where she's talking about with their hands messing with the danger zone and the stuff. And if you watch the video, the video even cleverly 
like plays on that. Like it's an animated video hmm. and there's just one part where they're, they're playing bingo, but it's called master, master bingo, you know? So it's like totally about masturbation. And I never realized that until I was older. I just feel like we're so desensitized to this stuff now because I feel like Oh, yeah, that's this the is thing. Small beans that, compared to that what's is on compared the radio to the now. things that are out now. Yeah, yeah, but at the time, these were their filthy fifteen to put mm. labels, warning I labels, and everything. Heard of half of those, but okay. In August of 1985, 19 record companies agreed to put parental guidance labors on labels. <laughs> <laughs> labors. In August 1985, <laughs> in August 1985, 19 record companies agreed to put parental guidance labels on albums that had explicit lyrical content. But before the labels could get put into place, the Senate agreed to hold the hearing on explicit music. This was kind of a huge thing, and again, this was a huge media circus. The hearing was held on September 19, 1985. The Senate hearing consisted of members of the PMRC, Senators Paula Hawkins and Al Gore, a few professors and psychologists, and a truly bizarre trio of musicians that were Dee Schneider, the lead singer for Twisted Sister, Frank Zappa, and John Denver. Frank Zappa and John Denver? Those were the three. Because John Denver was really anti-censorship because his song, Rocky Mountain High, was censored a ton when it came out because That's people hilarious. thought it was about drugs. So John yeah, they had Denver. Dee Schneider... John Denver and Frank Zappa. Zappa. Like a, those, that's an odd combination right there. Yeah, and it, it is. And, you know, I've seen interviews with Dee Snyder where, and he's like a really, really smart guy. And he wore like the creepy makeup and he looked like yeah. like the the worst drag queen ever. <laughs> but he, he is on there saying that they corralled him to come in thinking that he was going to be this stupid musician when he's actually really smart and Mm -hmm. him especially him and zappa they said a lot of things during the the senate hearing that were like brilliant yeah you know i think zappa had a brilliant mind yeah i don't like jamie i uh, love jamie bond that did our music is like a zappa fan i believe brian young is and i cannot stand frank zappa his stuff is too weird (laughs) like i don't like (laughs) weird. weird it is weird he's a fan of the xylophone i can tell you that i don't like weird i don't like weird i uh you know, there's always the thing. Are you a, are you a John Lennon guy or a Paul McCartney guy? And I'm a Paul McCartney guy. I just like a pretty song. I don't need. And I'm a John Lennon guy. Yeah. <laughs> or gal, gal. <laughs> I, you, Zappa's just, you have to have an appreciation for the musicianship. I mean. I just, I don't get it. I don't like it. Yeah. No, that's cool. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, he was out there. He was but he's brilliant. And he was yeah. very common sense. He had no time for stupidity. So him, Dee Schneider, and John Denver just like rocked this thing they did Mm. so good on november 1st 1985 before the hearing ended the riaa agreed to put parental advisory labels on selected releases at their own discretion just like dungeons and dragons this of course caused a forbidden fruit effect warning you that something is bad makes you want to try it a ton of musicians were thankful that the warning stickers went on because their album sales increased sure when the parental advisory you know just like dungeons and dragons is bad people go and buy it just like these albums are bad people go and buy them These two situations, Dungeons and Dragons and Heavy Metal, were humorous and more or less inconsequential examples of the 80s satanic panic stuff. But this last one is a little more disturbing. And this one is, wow. Like, I knew some stuff about the case, but I didn't know a lot about it. And that is the McMartin preschool trial. Do you know anything about this? I don't know. Right. In 1983, Judy Johnson, the mother of a two and a half year old... Okay, before I start, this one is... No strange things. No, it talks about child molestation, and I tried to keep it pretty clean. I didn't go into some graphic detail that they went into. I guess parents be a judge, listen to it first. Yes. In 
1983, Judy Johnson, the mother of a two-and-a-half-year-old boy who attended McMartin Preschool in Manhattan Beach, California, made a call to the police. Her two-and-a-half-year-old son was having painful bowel movements, and she said that it was because she suspected he was being sodomized by both her ex-husband and by Ray Bucky, a 25-year-old teacher's aide at the preschool, and the grandson of school founder Virginia McMartin and son of head administrator Peggy McMartin Bucky. Despite the fact that the young boy couldn't identify Ray from photos and that medical examinations of the boy showed absolutely no signs of sexual abuse, the police conducted searches of Bucky's home, confiscating quote-unquote evidence that he was molesting the boy, such as a graduation robe, a teddy bear, and some Playboy magazines. I don't get it. I don't see the connection, but Johnson okay. also said that her son made several more bizarre accusations, saying that people at the daycare had been having sex with animals, that, quote, Peggy drilled a child under the arms, and that, quote, Ray flew in the air. On September 7th, 1983, Ray Bucky was arrested and brought in for extensive questioning. I could never get a clear thing if he was arrested or just brought in for questioning, because mm-hmm. I've seen them both. But in, in September of 1983, he was brought into the police station. The school had been founded in 1966 by Virginia McMartin, and there had been no claims of misconduct at the preschool prior to this. The police then sent a form letter to about 200 parents of students at the McMartin preschool, stating that their children might have been sexually abused by Ray Bucky, and asking the parents to question their children if they were ever molested under the pretense of having their temperatures checked, or if they ever witnessed Ray Bucky tying up a student, but also not to discuss the case with anyone outside of the immediate family. And you can imagine how that went. Pretty soon, everybody knew what was going on. Everyone in the town and the surrounding towns were aware of this. Then Judy's story started to get even weirder. According to the website FamousTrials.com, and I'm going to go to that website a lot because they had a really good article about this whole thing. According to the website FamousTrials.com, quote, Judy Johnson's report of misbehavior at the McMartin Preschool became increasingly bizarre. She claimed that Peggy Bucky, Ray's mother, was involved in satanic practices. She was said to have taken Johnson's son to a church where the boy was made to watch a baby being beheaded and was forced to drink the blood. She insisted that Ray Bucky had sodomized her son with his head stuck in a toilet and had taken him to a car wash and locked him in the trunk. Johnson told police that Ray pranced around the preschool in a cape and a Santa Claus costume and that other teachers at the school chopped up rabbits and placed their body parts into some sort of star. Yeah, Krista's face is like, what? It almost sounds too crazy to be true. At this point, everyone knew about the letter, so basically everyone in the area was pushing for the police to do a full-scale investigation of the preschool. The district attorney handed a major portion of the investigation over to Key McFarlane, who was a consultant for the Children's Institute International, or the CII, an agency with the mission of identifying and treating abused children. Parents whose children went to McMartin Preschool were asked to send their children to CII for a two-hour interview and to be physically examined for signs of sexual abuse which all sounds well and good until it came out later that Key McFarlane, who spearheaded the investigation, had no medical training or psychology training. Her highest academic credential was a welding certificate. So there you go. Hundreds of students came in to get interviewed. McFarlane's interviews basically utilized a series of questions and a reward system, giving children treats when she felt they answered correctly. Almost all of the interview followed the same pattern where the children would deny any kind of abuse and then she would slightly rephrase or modify the question until the children answered the way she wanted and Mm. they were rewarded. So the kids basically ended up telling her what she wanted to hear. She manipulated them. Yes. 
And if she didn't get the answer she wanted, she would say things to the kids like, quote, you're just a scaredy cat. How come you won't tell me? Which is horrible. You know? 150 children who attended the preschool were given physical examinations by Dr. Astrid Heger of CII, who determined that 80% of the children she examined had signs of being molested. But rather than focusing on actual physical evidence, she relied more on medical histories and the belief that, quote, any conclusion should validate the child's history. Don't really understand what that means. No. Her physical exam... 80%? Yeah. Her physical examination showed possible signs of abuse on six children, but experts would later conclude that this evidence she cited was common even in children with no history of abuse. This is very confusing. Yeah. So they, she says that these children were abused based on her own ideas. Okay. Where, the- like, she, she did say that six actually had signs of physical abuse, but then other experts later said, no, that's common in children who aren't abused. So it's turning into this not Depending good, on who you ask. Turning into yeah. a not good situation. Huh. But based on all of this quote-unquote evidence, and this is also from that famous Trials.com article, quote, on March 22, 1984, a grand jury indicted Ray Bucky, Peggy Bucky, Peggy and Bucky, Virginia McMartin, and three other McMartin teachers, Mary Ann Jackson, Bette Radar, and Barbette Spittler, on these charges that just, it's like, what? You know? I mean, the, the thing is, it's basically a witch hunt. Yeah, it's basically a totally. witch hunt. The grand jury initially indicted the, quote, McMartin 7 on 115 counts of child sexual abuse. Two months later, an additional 93 indictment counts were added as District Attorney Robert Philosobian pursued his strategy of hyping the McMartin case to boost his chances in an upcoming primary election. In June, bail for Peggy Bucky was set at $1 million. Ray Bucky was held without bail. And I cannot imagine being in this situation. No, and that's the thing. Once you put something like that out there, yeah. it never goes away. No, 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 not at all. But, yeah... The school and the teachers' homes were searched, of course, with nothing really being found. Preliminary hearings began in August 1984, and it was a huge cluster you-know-what. Mm-hmm. According <laughs> to the famous trial site, I mentioned, quote, Key McFarland testified at the preliminary hearing that the abuse was able to go on for years because children either suffered from, quote, denial syndrome or were afraid that revealing McMartin's dark secrets would result in their own deaths or the deaths of their family members. McFarlane explained that she succeeded in bringing out the secrets with the help of anatomically correct dolls and a set of puppets through which she asked children questions during her interviews. The puppets included Mr. Alligator, Mr. Snake, Detective Dog, and Mr. Sparky. Videotapes of the interviews also showed that McFarlane and other therapists relied heavily on leading questions and subtle pressure to persuade children to join the chorus of accusers. The defense played tapes that showed therapist Sean Connerly telling a child interviewee that 183 kids had already revealed, quote, yucky secrets, and that all the McMartin teachers were, quote, sick in the head and deserved to be beaten up. (laughs) Isn't that horrible? The testimony of children at the preliminary hearing was shockingly bizarre and often riddled with inconsistencies and contradictions. Several children reported being photographed while performing nude somersaults as part of what they called the, quote, naked movie star game. One child said that as the game was being played, the children sang, quote, what you see is what you are and you're a naked movie star. Others testified to playing a nude version of cowboys and Indians, sometimes with the Indians sexually assaulting the cowboys and sometimes vice versa. Children testified that sexual assaults took place on farms 
in circus tents, in the homes of strangers, in car washes, in storerooms, and most of all, in secret rooms underneath McMartin Preschool accessible by a tunnel. One boy told of watching animal sacrifices performed by McMartin teachers wearing robes and masks in a candlelit ceremony at St. Cross Episcopal Church. In response to a defense question, the boy added that the kids were forced to drink the blood of the sacrificed animals. Perhaps strangest of all was a testimony of one boy who said that the McMartin teachers took students to a cemetery where the kids were forced to use pickaxes and shovels to dig up coffins. Once the coffins were removed from the ground, according to the children, they would be opened and the McMartin teachers would begin hacking up the bodies with knives. Yeah. So the kids said all of these things. Yeah, yeah. And this was one of the big things is that they said there was a series of tunnels under the school that were connected to secret chambers used for sex rituals and just other abuse. Do you think any of these things are true? I don't. Okay. But people still to this day do. Okay. Uh, one child picked out actor Chuck Norris from a photograph claiming that he had showed up for some of the abuse. <laughs> so Not Chuck. Not Ch- apparently Chuck. The preliminary dragged on for well over a year. In December of 1985, the decision was made to drop the charges on everyone except for Ray and Peggy Bucky. While this was all going on, families were obsessed with finding evidence of the satanic activity going on at the preschool and the tunnels under the school. In March of 1985, 50 parents showed up at the property with shovels and a backhoe. They found the remains of a turtle and a few broken toys, which they believe backed up the claims of animal sacrifice. I mean, this was a thing. People were doing everything they could to find these tunnels that were underneath this school. I think as a parent, though, this would be really hard. Like, Again, this is looking for something to blame. I mean, I, this is like everything else. I feel like you're looking for something to blame for what you for perceive, what, for, what, right. for what these counselors have convinced you was molestation taking place on your children right and as a parent you would do anything you could to find out what really happened i mean how totally i don't blame them at at all i couldn't i can't imagine that like even i don't have kids but my niece and nephew if something came out that somebody was molesting them you would want to kill them yeah you would legitimately want to kill that person yes so people were doing everything they could to find evidence Mm. of satanism and these secret tunnels underneath the the school By this time, Judy Johnson, the mom who started all of this, had been diagnosed with and hospitalized for acute paranoid schizophrenia, and she passed away in 1986 from complications of chronic alcoholism. Opening statements in the McMartin trial began on July 14, 1987. As parents took the stand, it started to become obvious that the parents had been happy with the preschool before and that there were no indications whatsoever of any kind of abuse. But after bringing the children to CII and talking to Key McFarlane, the parents became convinced that their children had been sexually abused. The children that took the stand once again told their stories about the secret tunnels and about how Ray had threatened them by bringing in a cat, killing the cat in front of the students and telling the children that would happen to them if they told anyone, or Ray beating a horse to death with a baseball bat in front of the children. Yikes. Once Key McFarland took the stand, the trial became almost more about attacking her methods and interviewing the children while she attempted to defend them. Then, when Ray Bucky took the stand, it came out that he was obsessed with pyramids and pyramid power. According to the famous trials article, quote, Ray Bucky was a believer in pyramid power, which he says, quote, has a powerful effect on all living things. The prosecution wanted jurors to know about Bucky's fascination with pyramids. They wanted them to know that Bucky drove around Los Angeles wearing a pyramid hat and that he hung a pyramid over his bed. What does that have to do with anything? Uh, it makes him look like... Kooky? Kooky or satanic. The prosec- make him a bad person. The prosecution whatever. argued that the pyramid evidence undercut Peggy Bucky's argument that she would never hire an unfit teacher at the McMartin Preschool. 
Prosecutors also argued, argued that the pyramid obsession made more credible one child's testimony that Ray was definitely involved in satanic-like rituals. Judge Pounders agreed to let the jury hear the pyramid evidence. A personal note, the actual pyramid hat that was introduced in the Bucky trial now resides in my office. I almost never wear it. <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny. The prosecution also wanted to show that Bucky did not have normal sexual relationships with women, and therefore he, they contended he was more likely to be a pedophile. Investigators from the DA's office tracked down a Montana woman who had met Bucky at a pyramid convention in Reno seven years earlier. The woman told investigators that she tried to seduce Bucky, but that her attempts were unsuccessful, pointing to him being a pedophile. There is a convention for anything. <laughs> I think I'm pyramid. unseducible. That doesn't make, mean I'm a pedophile. Right. You know, but yeah, they they were they were saying because this woman wasn't able to seduce him. That's poor logic. That adds to him being a pedophile, which I don't understand. Maybe he just likes men. And the pyramid thing is kooky. Yeah, there is there are pyramid conventions where people who believe in pyramid power. Huh. That was a big thing in the seventies too, I believe, was like if you had a pyramid over your bed or a pyramid hat, hmm. it gives you power somehow. I don't get it either, but I don't know. Finally, Peggy and Ray took the stand and denied every accusation against them. During cross-examination, Ray was made to reveal that he sometimes didn't wear underwear and that he owned pornographic magazines. Oh, my God. <laughs> Put him in jail immediately. No, guy likes freeballing, you know, whatever. And, or, and owning pornographic magazines. I don't have any pornographic magazines. No, home. that's what the internet is oh, for. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> On November 2nd, 1989, the case went to jury after nearly 30 months of testimony. 30 months wow. of testimony. Yeah. With my luck, this would be the kind of jury duty I would end up being on something like 30 this. 30 months. The hey, did you ever hear back from your jury duty Every thing? time I call, it's canceled. Oh, it's, okay. it's settled out of court. Okay. I'm kind of annoyed because I kind of wanted to You're only on for it. a month, yes, though. But okay. I, I'm supposed to call again Wednesday night and then see if they need me for Thursday's trial, but mm. I kind of want to do it. It's, I enjoyed it. Okay. So I think I, I would. We digress. The jury spent another two and a half months deliberating its verdicts. Some charges had been dropped during the tw trial. Some charges have been <laughs> dropped during the trial. So on 52 charges against the two defendants, the jury returned an acquittal. On the 13th remaining... Oh my God, start all over. The trial. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sweetie bird. Shut up. <laughs> Shut up. The jury spent another two and a half months deliberating its verdicts. Some charges had been dropped during the trial. So on 52 charges against the two defendants, the jury returned an acquittal. On the 13 remaining charges against Ray Bucky, the jury announced that it was deadlocked. One juror later basically said he thought Bucky was guilty, but that there wasn't enough to prove it. Families in the community were pissed. 500 people, including several of the McMartin parents, marched through the streets of Manhattan Beach carrying signs saying things like, quote, we believe the children. Mm -hmm. A television poll revealed that 87% of people questioned thought that the Buckys were guilty. That's just crazy to me that 87%. I just with, think it's such a tough position to be in because you don't ever want to doubt something like that that a kid says to you. Because what if it did happen and now you don't believe them? But 87% shows how much these people were able to be swayed yeah. with what little evidence they right. could get Very little that this evidence. was going on. Like I said, once you put that idea out there and it gets yeah. into the media, it's really hard to undo that. A retrial was called for for eight, just eight counts of sexual abuse and molestation, but after three months, the jury ended up deadlocked again. They had been leaning towards only one count of conviction while acquitting them on the others. 
So that was that. A ton of money. I think to this day, this is one of the most expensive trials mm. and one of the longest trials. Wow. So countless years wasted, countless families yeah. devastated. Right. You know, it just, uh, it just floors me. This whole case is just... According well, and, and you know what I think of too? Did they did they inflict trauma on these kids? Oh, I'm by sure they did. I'm them? sure they did by right. by they making them believe abused? that by making them believe that they they were suffered abused. some kind of yeah yeah. And now they have to live with that. That's just crazy. That's why this case. This is always like the big satanic panic. Use this as a template for mm-hmm. what not to do. According to a July 19, 2019 article on Oxygen.com called quote. Did the McMartin preschool tunnels exist? The article says, quote, In February of 1990, the property on which the McMartin preschool building sat was sold to real estate broker Arnold Goldstein for $320,000 by the Bucky family attorney Danny Davis, who had acquired the property to cover his legal fees, according to the Los Angeles Times. Goldstein planned to demolish the school and to erect a three-story office building. He gave the parents of the alleged victims until May 10th to do their digging, telling the New York Times, quote, I'm permitting these people to go on the property to find whatever they need to get this out of their system, which is cool. It's cool yeah. that he did that. Mm-hmm. Parents hired former FBI agent Ted L. Gunderson, who worked as a private investigator and archaeologist Gary Stickle to aid in the dig. Gunderson claims that he did find a subterranean opening under one classroom and another underneath a bathroom. Gunderson said that the tunnel may have been dug previously by a utility company. The McMartin Preschool building was torn down on May 29, 1990. During that time, investigators used sonar trying to detect soft spots under the building's foundation, which could indicate hollow areas, according to the Los Angeles Times. However, no conclusive evidence was ever found at the site. Hmm. But to this day, there are people that are convinced that these tunnels were real. Like, I remember this because this is when I was really following this was when they were searching for the tunnels. I remember hearing about the possibilities that evidence had been found and they would find things like buried deep in the ground. They would find seven up cans that people said made the tunnel theory sound plausible, but it could have been tossed in by somebody that had worked there. Right. You know, why are they so focused on the tunnels? They're thinking because if there are find... tunnels under there where the, this would validate the kids stories that they were molested in tunnels underneath the preschool. But that was just one example. Like you it know was, what I mean? but that was one that popped up all the time in the kids' stuff. Was that they mm. were they were taken? It was weird because kids said that they were flushed down the toilet and ended up in the tunnels underneath the school. So people took that to believe that there was a tra- a secret door in the bathroom. Well, and it that sounds led... like there was a space under the yeah yeah. So that's why people to this day are convinced that this mm. was legit. That these kids were being abused and that these tunnels were real. You know, but I remember the hearing about like the Seven Up can. Uh, the usual explanation was that the property's previous owners did have a rubbish pit in that area, and that's where some of this garbage came from mm. that they found. Mm-hmm. To this day, a lot of conspiracy theorists still do believe that there were tunnels underneath the building and that satanic rituals had been held there using the children. Mm. So, from that famous trials article. The McMartin preschool abuse trial was costly in so many ways. In monetary terms, it cost taxpayers over $15 million. For the defendants, the cost of the trial included long terms in jail. Ray Bucky actually spent five years in jail before being released on bail. There were losses of homes, losses of jobs, losses of life savings, and a stigma that might never leave. The children, too, were victims. Ray Bucky, in a CBS interview, said, quote, Those poor children went through hell, but I'm not the cause of their hell, and neither is my mother. The cause of the hell is the adults that took this case and made it what it was. 
Parents too suffered. Many felt betrayed by the justice system. The community of Manhattan Beach was another victim left uneasy and polarized by the long investigation and judicial proceedings. And Mm. this reminds me of the Avery stuff in Manitowoc where you had families not talking to each other because this person believed Avery did it. This Mm -hmm. person believed Avery was innocent. And that's exactly what's going on here Mm -hmm. is where you're having families that some people believe that they abused these kids and some people believing they didn't. The effects of the McMartin trial even extended beyond the state of California. Across the country, daycare providers resisted the temptation to hug or touch children. Contact almost all child experts say children need out of a fear that their actions might be interpreted as signs of abuse. Many daycare centers were forced to close their doors after insurance companies fearing molestation lawsuits dramatically raised their liability insurance rates. Early publicity surrounding the McMartin investigation also spawned a rash of charges against daycare providers elsewhere, many of which proved to be unsubstantiated. There were quite a few high-profile cases in the 80s that followed almost the same exact format as the McMartin preschool case with therapists using sketchy techniques to get stories out of children about abuse. The case of the West Memphis Three in the 90s is also similar, but that will be an episode for another time. So to end this with a quote from author Stanley Cohen, he says, quote, calling something a moral panic does not imply that this something does not exist or happen at all, and that reaction is based only on fantasy, hysteria, delusion, and illusion or being duped by the powerful. So even though this kind of was a farce, don't let it make you think that this stuff doesn't really happen. Right. Because it probably oh, yeah. does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this, this was just a devastating thing like i said i knew a little about the case going into this but i did not realize like like the after effects where people that taught at daycare were afraid to even touch the children because they don't want to get accused but it was they had a list of like all these cases like bigger name cases that went on after that where people were accused of molesting kids at their school and stuff like that Mm. and it's just crazy i mean this was this was just insane to me but there's a lot of people that believe that this really happened, that they were doing sacrifices on animals and threatening the kids. And I just, you know, assuming it didn't happen, I just feel for these people. They wanted to do a preschool to do something good and look what happened. Right. You know? So we end with the question, do you think this is still going on today? And my answer is totally. I think that's what this Wayfair thing is. Oh, yeah. You know, because, you know... Somebody posted that on the Facebook yeah, page. Yeah. Do you want to explain what that is? Well, the Wayfair thing basically just happened in the last couple of weeks where Wayfair, they sell Weird. things. They had pieces of furniture like cabinets and stuff for like ten, twelve thousand dollars $12,000. And some people noticed that they had these things named with names of children that had vanished recently. Right. So it came out that possibly Wayfair was... Aiding in trafficking human trafficking trafficking children. And that's like a huge thing. And And people said they even tried to buy it, but it would always be removed from their shopping cart. And someone said, you must have to have like a special code. And it's like, is this like really And that gets into stuff like the QAnon stuff. I don't know if you know what the QAnon stuff, that's Mm -hmm. like Trump. Like it's basically this theory, this conspiracy theory that... The Clintons are involved in this and a lot of like higher up people. It's Pizzagate. It's the QAnon stuff. It's basically people, a lot of people believe that this is our version of satanic panic, Mm. that these high profile politicians are sacrificing children. It gets into the whole thing of adenochrome or adenochrome where 
like the big thing now is that these politicians traumatize children and then kill them and then drink something their glands produce called adenochrome, adenochrome that keeps them young. And this is the the adenochrome or adenochrome is an actual substance. It is. But that's the theory is that they traumatize these kids in order to kill them and drink this fluid from their glands. And and a lot of people believe that's going on. The QAnon stuff. The QAnon stuff is basically like Clintons are are sex traffickers and all these high profile Hollywood people are sex traffickers, but it's crazy. Like on the I'm I go to the Reddit conspiracy group and you know, as a disclaimer, I believe some of it. I believe there are powerful people who engage in sex with children well, and this, and whole this Epstein kind of stuff. Thing yeah. And all the yeah. celebrities and yeah. politicians who were but involved it's, with him. Yeah, going on like the conspiracy board, like in, in the emails and stuff, anytime you mention cheese pizza, that's a code word for child pornography because mm. they start with CP. Mm. You know, but then you get people posting stuff in Reddit like, oh my God, I can't believe Cole sells this. And it's like a girl's pajama top that has a piece of pizza on it. And it's like, come on. I, I you know, it's like, I get it, but not, sometimes pizza is just pizza. pizza not exactly. everything, you know, I don't need to feel like a pedophile when I walk into Papa Murphy's and get a pizza. <laughs> right. But it's just like, it's just so hard because I believe some of it, but there's yeah. so much, people are messed so up. much kookiness. And I agree the Wayfair stuff is weird, but it there's, weird. there are logical explanations for everything. You know, some of these ones that people say they're using the names of these kids that disappeared. Some of them have been found. Some of them were found dead, mm. but then people say that they're using that name to tell the buyer to look at that and see what like the racial profile is of the person, how old that person is, because mm. that's the person you're going to get. And I just saw this the other day, mentioned somewhere as a modern day satanic panic which mm-hmm. i thought was fitting with this episode yeah because it but is. you know what exists out there on the dark web too oh i i i 100 believe that this kind of stuff does go on i don't know if it's happening in the mainstream internet though i no. think it's more so yeah the dark web yeah but then that ties into I the 100% whole, that ties into the whole Illuminati online. thing where the Illuminati like having their secrets out in the open because they think that we're sheep and we're Hiding too dumb to realize it's going on. You know? That's different though. So but I feel like that's different. But this like I said, this could be very much a modern day satanic panic where Wayfair could go out of business over this. Yeah, that's true. You know, they're getting like if you go to their Facebook stuff, they're getting hammered by people accusing them. So this is a modern what day. What is their explanation? That the stuff is like priced super high because if they don't have a lot, the site automatically adjusts the price as to how rare that is for them to get. Oh. But that also doesn't make like sense. $12, so this I don't know. This whole thing is weird. I'm not going to say this whole thing isn't weird. And I think something is going on, but I feel like people are now pitchforks ready, torches yeah. ready to like right. vilify them. When I do agree something weird, I'm not bad-mouthing it because I do agree something weird is going on, but people have latched onto this as right. the modern-day modern witch hunt, satanic panic hmm. of this time. There's a lot of people that say sex trafficking is a satanic panic and that it doesn't occur as much as it does. I bet they, it occurs more than we realize. They call that the modern-day 80s satanic panic. Oh, I don't buy that. I don't buy that either. But like I, I said, I believe some of the stuff that they talked about in Pizzagate goes on. I believe some of the stuff from QAnon yeah. goes on. But I also don't believe that... Not to the level that maybe no, they're talking no, about. No, but though. I do think that every decade is going to have its moral panics. Hmm. I think it will. I think it's going to have its modern-day witch hunts, and I feel like that's going on right now. Yeah. 
and it's very reminiscent of like the yeah the McMartin preschool where this company could end up you know we're like 20 years from now people are going to look back and be like what are we, like with the Dungeons and Dragons and heavy metal it's like oh my right. god we what were so we stupid to think that that was right. going on hmm. so yeah so that's the, that's that got a little deeper than I kind of expected. Like I said, I thought these were going to be three kind of fun ones. And then once I got into this last one, I'm like, oh, thoroughly depressed there's nothing now. fun about that. <laughs> right. So that is the 1980s satanic panic. Mm. A couple people have asked for it, so I wanted to get out there and do it. But I still sometimes follow the McMartin kookiness where people are still convinced that, you know, people said that after they got busted that they went in and filled the tunnels so that the people wouldn't find the tunnels. Mm. So... Part of me hopes it was real because if it's not, all these lives were devastated. Right. By but you don't want it to be real What ultimately either. came to this group with these interviews. Yeah. You know. Aye, aye, aye. Mm. So there you go. There is the satanic panic. Yeah. A real downer. Real downer. <laughs> so what do you guys think? Yeah. Let us know. No, there's no real strangeness here except the whole, were they doing satanic rituals? Right. Were they not doing satanic rituals? So there you go. Huh. You got a song? Oh, you go first this time. I, I have, it's between a couple in my head. I didn't think okay. of the whole, I forgot about it. My so. song I might have mentioned on here, and this is one of, this would be in my top five favorite songs of all times. It is the song, Have You Forgotten by the, it's not a group, it's just a singer, but they go under, he goes under Red House Painters. I've never heard, it's I, a here's song, always something I've never heard of. It's a song called Have You Forgotten. And I think the guy's name is Mark Kolacek, Kolzacek. I know that in my probably all-time favorite movie scene from, from uh, uh, Almost Famous, mm. it has the famous scene where they're on the bus and they start all singing along Only to Tiny, Tiny Dancer. Dancer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The first person to my start singing scene. along with the song is this guy, is the singer from Red House Painters. Oh, Mark, really? Yes. He, he is, was an actor in the movie? Yes. Yeah. He was, was the he guy. the drummer? I think so. I believe he was the drummer, but he's the first guy that starts singing along to the music. That I can is, picture him. Yes, that is him. He's in Red. He is Red House Painters. Interesting. But he has this song called "Have You Forgotten," and I heard the song the first time on the Vanilla Sky soundtrack. Okay. And it movie. is one of the prettiest, saddest, most nostalgic <laughs> songs so I know. Depressing. <laughs> like if you go to the YouTube comments, like everybody says this song brings them back to childhood because it has a lot of like childhood related lyrics. Hmm. And it's just, it's just him and a guitar for like the first part of the song. But at, if you read the comments too on YouTube at four minutes in a slide guitar comes in and hmm. everybody says that is what knocks it out of the park that makes that song. A steel guitar? So yeah, makes the song so amazing Hmm. and the video that i'll post in the group is just like an old eight millimeter film from like the 70s or something like that and it's just everybody says it brings them back to their childhood and it people have said like metalheads have gone on there and said i'm a metalhead i saw this for the first time and this this made me cry this Hmm. this song totally made me cry so kurt's gonna make us cry yeah and it made me miss childhood it made Hmm. me it makes everybody nostalgic for childhood okay but it's a good song it's just a pretty song uh, a warning for the strangelings. There's a very prominent dirty word in like the first 30 seconds of the song. Okay. But that's the only one. But it's just, listen to the whole song. Listen to the whole song. Get up to the four minute mark where the steel guitar comes in. It's just such a good song. Mm. It is Have You Forgotten by Red House Painters. I don't think you've mentioned that song before. I don't, I don't know if I did mm. or not. 
So I think I've mentioned mine before, and I don't remember what the context was, but it wasn't in our song recommendations. And mine is the song Little Wing by Jimi Hendrix. Have you heard no. it? No. So I, I don't, I don't I know Jimi much Hendrix about Jimi Hendrix. I really don't. Yeah. Um, it, it's just, it's, it's the song itself is so different from all of his other stuff. The, the guitar is very iconic. When you hear it, I think you'll recognize it. And Pearl Jam actually came out with a song, I can't think of the name of it, where the guitar at the end of the song, well, it might be at the beginning too, but it's very reminiscent of Little Wing. Like, he clearly got his influence from this song. But it's it's just this sort of, like, the lyrics are really sort of whimsical, but he's singing about a woman. And I think Jimi Hendrix had, like, one of the sexiest voices ever. He did have a sexy oh my voice. God. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Chris is getting a lot for of a guy, <laughs> For a guy who had, like, no confidence in himself, he had, like, major sex appeal through his music, I think. But He's a fascinating person. Yeah. He really is. Yeah. But that's, that song is just amazing. And Stevie Ray Vaughan, another amazing, talented I always person will who love died the fact too young. that he opened for the Monkees. I still think Stevie Ray Vaughan. No, oh, Jimmy Hendrix, Hendrix. Open for the Monkees. I think that is so cool. Interesting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But Stevie Ray Vaughan did an amazing version of Little Wing as well. Um, but it, I don't think he sang it. Was just, I don't know if I have ever heard a Stevie Ray Vaughan song. Really? Yes, no. you have. Yes, you have. It's yeah. You. I, I hear him mentioned a lot, but I just yeah. don't. Oh, uh, he was. We run in different musical circles. We do. You, <laughs> we like the Beastie Boys. Huh? He- yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> well, Stevie Ray Vaughan was an amazing guitarist who people didn't know who he was until he died. He actually died in a helicopter crash. Yes, leaving, leaving, Alpine, leaving Valley, Alpine Valley. My favorite music venue here that's in where Wisconsin. I saw. That's where I saw Iron Maiden. Oh, nice. Yep. Um, but yeah, back to Jimi Hendrix. But yeah, just amazing. It's a great song. So I'll post it on the Facebook page, but... Yeah, I saw Jimmy, or I saw Iron Maiden there and I saw Boston there. And I've Boston are so one of my all-time there. favorite bands. Boston's Boston. first three albums, just freaking amazing. Boston is one of those bands that I'm like, I don't know their music, but if I hear you heard, it, I'll if be you like, heard oh, it, yeah, right. you It's would. like Fleetwood Mac. You know every song, but you don't know it's Fleetwood Mac. Fleetwood Mac, I never really got into, and I'm kind of bummed about that mm. because I've gotten into them a little bit recently, and it's like the song The Chain is amazing. Mm. Uh, Landslide is one of my favorite songs of all time. Though. That's a good one, yeah. Uh, but I wish I would have got more into Fleetwood Mac. But yeah, we, like Jimi Hendrix, I never listened to. Stevie Ray Vaughan, I never listened to. Well, he was very unknown, though. Yeah. But, oh my God, so talented. Insanely talented. Cool. I'm going to have to listen to it. You have to post it in the group yes. so I can listen to yep. it. Okay, Krista's going to do a pickle joke while I look up a question. Another terrible, terrible pickle joke. Oh, jeez. What is green and insulting? What? <laughs> so dumb. Don Pickles. <sighs> it's just terrible. And a lot of these are references to people that... Uh, most people are probably aren't because they're, it's, it's like Don Rickles, book, right? Yeah. That's who they're okay. <laughs> okay, what's the first line of the pickle wedding ceremony? What? Dilly beloved, we are that one is cute. Together. That one That's is why cute. I giggle. That one was worth a giggle. Are you ready? I'm ready. Hi, Kurt and Krista. What's up? I love the music questions, so I wanted to ask you what albums. Would you consider, I'm trying to think in my head without even reading the question, what <laughs> albums would you consider are flawless from beginning to end? Paul's Boutique, Beastie Boys. That's the question. That's my answer. <laughs> really? Even, yes. Even B-Boy Booyah Bass? Paul's Boutique, beginning to end. I will not ever skip through a song. If I know an album isn't perfect. If I find a song or two that I'm going to skip through, 
And I can't say that I do that for any Beastie Boys albums, but yeah, for me, it's Paul's Boutique by the wow. Beastie Boys. I could come up with other bands too, but I've just been listening to them a lot lately and it's Paul's my favorite. Boutique, we've talked about this, that I loved License to Ill. When Paul's Boutique came out, I was like, this is horrible. It's because, that's, like, that's because one, it was hip hop. Yeah, because you were expecting another you went from, license like, their to punk ill. Stuff. Yeah, yeah, you expected another license to ill, and it's not. It's just in, like a party album. They said that. They said at the time a lot of people didn't like it, but looking right. back, people are like, that was a they were brilliant. So ahead of their that time. That was a brilliant album. They were so ahead. So of I, their I'll time. totally buy that one. Yeah. I like B Boy Booyah Bass. That's the one that's like 15 minutes long. Mm. That's just like little clips of other songs they never really did. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I've never even heard it. Yeah, it's at the they very... They have an instrumental album, too, it's at that's the, really good. Yeah, the Hot Sauce Committee. No, there's a different it's one. At the very end of Paul's Boutique, it's called B-Boy Booyah Bass. Oh, that's at the end of the... Yes. Okay, see, I don't know the names of their songs. Yeah. It's ridiculous. I know every word to every song, but I don't know the name. If I had to pick one, one I would say would be Synchronicity, because it would be Boston's first album, because Boston's mm. first album is beginning Give to me a end. Boston song. More than a feeling. Oh, okay. Peace yep. of mind. Okay. Uh, there's other ones, but if you heard it, yeah. But I would. Uh, that's not my pick, but one of them is Boston's first album because every song on there gets radio play. Every song on there mm. was played on the radio. Every song on there is freaking amazing. Okay. From Boston's debut album, the one with more than a feeling, but the one that I'm gonna pick is like a not a like a personal one for me is. The album called Beneath These Fireworks by the singer Matt Nathanson. Mm-hmm. I I've at love, least heard of him. <laughs> I love Matt Nathanson. Uh, and Didn't somebody meet him? Somebody no. Did, oh, I, I know. I think Stephanie in our group is a big fan of his too. No, so I, I, I believe she met him. Someone in the Zahn family or somebody. But no, Rhonda loves him. Okay. And I think Rhonda's mad because I went to see him with somebody else. <laughs> oh, Kurt. Well, we didn't go to see. I'm kidding. My friend Emily. We did not go to see Matt Nathanson. We went to see Joshua Radin, who was opening for Matt Nathanson. Oh. And Emily was kind of, is like a metalhead, but when we would go driving, I would listen to Joshua Raiden because I love Joshua Raiden. And she's like, who is this? This is really good. So she got into Joshua Raiden. So we actually just went there and did the meet and greet to get, to get our, our stuff signed by Joshua Raiden. I still love Joshua Raiden, but Matt Nathanson was the headliner and he is so good and he is so funny in concert. He's just amazing. But his album beneath these fireworks has some of my all-time favorite songs on it, and it is so good. So that is my pick. And I feel like we could probably be talking about like Beatles yeah. albums yeah. and like Sergeant Pepper, Sergeant Pepper. Yeah, that, yeah. Except for maybe George Harrison's song on there. Which one? I think it's called "Within You, Without You." Oh, I was not a big George Harrison sitar guy. They were going through their Ravi Shankar. Yeah, um, but Abby or uh, Sergeant Pepper's "Lonely Hearts Called Band" is an mm-hmm. amazing album. A Day in the Life, so good. There are so many people yeah. we're not thinking of. Oh, See, I know. that's why I don't like, like Guns and Roses. One. Guns and Roses' first album was, oh, Krista does not like Guns <laughs> and Roses. I did back in high school, but now it's like, I don't know. Mr. Brownstone is like the one song that I can. Seriously? Yeah, I love that song. <laughs> weird, isn't that, that weird? It is weird. That surprises me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure there's others we could think of, but off the top of my head, it's Matt Nathanson's Beneath These Fireworks. So good. Cool. So, Deets? Yeah, Deets. Huh. <laughs> you don't have the deets? We might have a problem. I have half the deets. Oh, no. <laughs> I don't have the other half. Oh, I do. Oh. Ooh, all right. Sakes, I don't know. Uh, you can email <laughs> us at thestrangesessions at gmail.com. 
We are on Twitter at Strange Session without the S. Session. I sound like I was drinking. <laughs> Strange Session without the S. Krista does an exemplary job on Instagram at the Strange Sessions. You can send us postcards and snail mail and food items to the Strange Sessions, P.O. Box 434, Manitowoc, Wisconsin, 54221-0434. And you can call our lonely little phone in Reedsville, Wisconsin at 920-443-9602. Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Sweet. And anything else? Nope. I don't I'm know. done in. I'm sweaty. You're sweaty? I'm sweaty. Okay. It's it's humid in here. Even just wearing your banana hammock, you're sweaty? Yeah. Sweaty <laughs> in some, some places that shouldn't get so sweaty. <laughs> All right, then. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. We're supposed to get like super bad storms today, mm-hmm. but I think they were going north of here. So I think we're going to be okay. You'll make it home. I think so. I feel like we're going to say something else. Send us stories. Oh, we yeah, need yeah, your yeah. we need your listener for stories. For the listener submission episode. Send us stories for the listener submission episode. We're going to be bugging you on Instagram. We're going to be bugging we're you on Facebook. Krista's uh, going to show up drunk at your house and bang <laughs> on the front door and tell you we need a story. <laughs> You're <laughs> practically encouraging people not to send us stories now. <laughs> Whatever. If there's anybody I'd want banging on my door drunk at 2 a.m., it would be you. Exactly. Yeah. So oh. if they don't yeah. <laughs> see what you did there. Yeah, I see what I did there. <laughs> so I think that's it. All right. So from Krista and I in the sticky studio. Salty. Sticky, salty studio. <laughs> Until next time, stay, stay strange. strange. This has been an Old School Media production, executive produced by Kirk Konechny. For more information and content, please visit strangesessions.com.